I'll hold it up to the mic so that way you can at least hear it. Ow. Oh, man, a very PTSD response. <laughs> and Rex Elevator. What the fuck kind of name I'm is Rex Elevator? I'm going to go ahead and tell you straight up. Rex Elevator could get it. <laughs> Look at her. She's a fox, man. She's kind of hot. batshit crazy. Why I think that makes her hotter. Rex Trump's peace plan is finished. Okay, all right, hold on. I just want to fresh word this quote real fast. <laughs> it's so funny, dude. I was laughing my ass off. Um, okay, hold on. Sounds like Jack's going out of business. Churches of Christ. Hear the death rattle coming out of his voice? All the other vi- religions are going out of business. Listen to dispensation of the Bible says he's pretty old, man. He's got to be in his 80s. Oh, yeah, running away. Finished. There's only going to be one religion, and it's Christ has been with his people at the rapture. They've missed the greatest war of history. Now it's the end of that war, it's the battle of Armageddon. He comes back with his people, he comes with clouds. Every eye shall see him. You know where he comes? You know where he comes, Tom? Not to Rome. Not Rome. Jerusalem. Jerusalem? He has always loved the Jew. (laughs) He loved the Jew so much that he said, Israel's the apple of my eye. Israel is my fiance. Israel is my wife. He used those terms of love in German. He said, I'm going to give Israel an Hail ball and chain name. Israel over here. And that <laughs> name is where my kingdom's going to be set up forever and forever and forever. And there's never going to be an end. Yeah, he almost died. Oh, just... yes, Jack. It's so wonderful to know the Lord. <laughs> I just thought that was such a hilarious quote. I'd like to offer a counterpoint. He's always loved the Jew. <laughs> He said, Israel is the apple of my... That's not anti-Semitic at all. Oh, man. Counterpoint. Counterpoint. I have a different vision of the future from the scriptures I'd like to share with all our brothers and sisters out there. If you got your Bible, nice. you would turn to um, uh, James 5, James chapter 5, verse 1 in the scripture says, Go to now, ye rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, yes. <laughs> and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as if it were fire. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Hey, For the last days. How many knows in the congregation not uh, Mr. Bezos is heaping his riches for the last days? How many knows that, that Bill Gates... Mm-hmm. He's heaping his riches for the mm-hmm. last days. Mm-hmm. And the heaping scripture him. goes on to say, Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. Behold, Lord. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. Yes, Lord. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. <laughs> you have nourished your hearts as in the day of the slaughter. I really like the new American Standard Version because it says... You fatten yourself for the day of the slaughter. Is that the is that the King James? This is the King James. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little little tricky. You have condemned and killed the just, 
and he doth not resist you, that means God's going to strike you down. He's going to cut you down like Johnny Cash said. <laughs> so anyway, you can yes, go with Lord. you can go with Brother Jack's version of events. <laughs> I prefer ours. Um, no, the uh, did someone write too deep right here? I think as Bob was like, I, Bob just, I just can't get there. <laughs> My dad wrote too deep. <laughs> right here. <laughs> yeah, just not good. That's all right, Bob. The the wisdom of the Lord makes the <laughs> makes the wisdom of the world folly. Well, I mean, man. Um that's a good quote. Um it's one of the few quotes from the Bible that actually would have some sort of thrust in the in our sort of political view or in our world. Uh whereas the um, well, it's not just there. I mean, time and time again, the rich man, bad things happen to him in the scripture. I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea how the prosperity gospel got like born. Yeah, what? Yeah, what is the uh, the roots of that? I have no idea. When did it start? Like in the nineties, eighties? Probably in the sixties. Kenneth Hagin was kind of the first guy that brought it. You know, me and you and Emily were talking about him in the group text. He was kind of the right, um, right. One of the godfathers of the prosperity gospel, but it really started with a guy named Norman Vincent Peale, who was basically like, um, like you know, have you seen the secret stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. The no, power but, of positive yeah. thinking. Yeah. He he wrote the actual book, The Power of Positive Thinking. He was a, a oh. minister, and then it kind of spiraled from there. And people said, well, if we just like say stuff that's not true and kind of will it into being, then maybe we can form like a whole doctrine around this. <laughs> Fast forward, before you know it, we got all these preachers uh, living tax-free in mansions, <laughs> uh, you know, driving or piloting, you know, million-dollar aircrafts and mm. living rent-free in mind of your heads. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, they they not only have nice condos and, uh, you know, hilltop mansions, but they're also, they also have a few um, apartments in mind in your head. Did you see that little snippet I sent you of Kenneth Copeland, how he bought his private jet off Tyler Perry. (laughs) (laughs) No. And he went out on the runway when, I guess, Tyler Perry's people brought it to him and said that uh, he just wanted to thank everybody in Jesus for buying him that private jet. (laughs) And he did it when he came out in a pilot's jacket and sunglasses and sang songs. Oh, my God. Well, dude, the way that they make so much money, the way that they're so rich, look, all right, so... You know, um, over the weekend, I, uh, I I had to go back to Hobbs for, like, a family emergency. Um, my dear grandmother passed away. May she rest in peace. Um, but, f- so, but, you know, she was a devout Christian. And, um, you know, was active in her church, which was my church growing up. And so, I, you know, I got to go back to my old church, and I was incredibly stoned uh, when I was there. <laughs> Which felt pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> kind of took the edge off of all the PTSD, I'm sure, that was Absolutely. trying to creep back in. Well, dude, a lot of my dreams happen in that building. A lot of my dreams now occur in that same building. Yeah. So at one point, I, was, I rounded a corner into the courtyard, and it was like my breath just got taken out of me. I was like, oh my God, Like I've seen this place so many times, not only in real life, but in my dreams, you know. Any bad dreams? A lot of bad ones. Yeah. A lot of good ones, too. A lot of nonsensical ones. Yeah. Dreams that just take place in that building. <laughs> um, 
But so anyways, uh, I spent a lot of time watching GEB America. You know what that is? Uh-uh. Golden Eagle Broadcasting. Yeah, that's that's Kenneth Copeland's thing. Yeah, it's uh, Oral Roberts University. Oral Roberts started, started it, yeah, in right. the mid-90s. Yeah. Right. You know, Kenneth Copeland was his pilot. That's how he got into the TV preaching. Really? Game. Yeah, he was a grad student. <laughs> Kenneth Copeland was a... Uh, was like he had a uh, he was a singer he had a singing career like a record deal with like RCA or something back in like the early sixties or late fifties maybe right and he had one hit that like was you know peaked out at number seventeen I forget what it was called I listened to it this weekend it's like so a was, secular hit yeah he was like a secular like interesting singer yeah wow uh, and uh, I guess one thing led to another and nobody and he ended up getting dropped from the label nobody picked him up and so he went back to grad school. And he was like an amateur pilot. Yeah. One of these guys that would like <laughs> just fly oranges to like somebody in Idaho and take the potatoes back or something, you know, whatever you were doing in the 50s. And so 60s. he was just in the right place at the right time. Well, he enrolls as like a non traditional student at Oral Roberts to right. get his college degree. And he's the only person on campus because he's like already like in his like. 30s at this point or late 20s or something that has his pilot license (laughs) right and this is at the same time when oral roberts is like you know sort of like changing the tv preaching game yeah yeah and uh so he was like do you want to be my pilot and so the university (laughs) bought bought oral roberts a, a plane and kenneth copeland flew it and then shortly thereafter kenneth copeland started his own ministry and Oh, no, man. no, no, no. There's like a, it's like a, it's almost like a, like a family tree of all these TV preachers. They're all interconnected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They basically sure. all sprung off of Kenneth Hagin. Right. And then Kenneth Hagin put Oral Roberts, begat Oral Roberts, Oral Roberts begat Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Copeland begat uh, Creflo Dollar. You see that guy yeah, in Georgia? Yeah, for sure. And he's yeah. on GEB too. Yeah. But Billy Graham was kind of outside that. Billy Graham was related Right, but not Billy Graham was not necessarily a TV preacher as much as he was like an evangelist. Right, right. So he kind of just like roamed to and fro and preaching the gospel and like not really. He wasn't really into like the healing and like the God's going to give you a jaguar shit, you know, like the rest of these guys were. Right, right. Uh, his was more of a sort of uh, <laughs> standard Baptist. <laughs> Dude, I was watching this. Okay, so like the best show. One of the best shows on television, period. But definitely the best show on GEV. Hands down. Well, okay. I need to qualify that. There are two that are incredible. The first one is Jim Baker, obviously. Right. That one's just, you know, everybody knows Jim Baker. You know, the Buckets, you know, the Vic Berger did the thing. But if you actually watch the show, it is fascinating. Incredibly entertaining. Incredibly entertaining. Yeah. The, the, the you know, cause Jim Baker's got all of his kids Half of them don't even, uh, you know, half of them are out of wedlock. Very obviously, he's got the one. He's got the one kid that's like the uh, hipster beer preacher. Yeah, remember the kid that had like started having church in bars. (laughs) Who was of the sort of like Donald Miller? Yeah, he was one of the cool Christians. Yeah, Yeah, I think he was was like I think it was Jim Junior. Maybe even maybe. Um, No, I think you're right. He's on there all the time. And then Ricky Baker, yeah, who looks kind of like the. Uh, he did. Oh, I'm just. I mean, I don't know how controversial this is, but he 100 percent looks like he was birthed out of like that. Like Lisa Baker, isn't that her name? Tammy Faye T- was his first wife. She's right. dead now. Yeah, she had the quaffed out. Yeah, like, you yeah, know, yeah, rooster yeah. tail, blowout hair. Right. But didn't he cheat on T- Tammy Faye Baker? That sounds him? right, man. Um. Well, anyways, 
um, back to what I was saying. Um, I was watching Jim Baker the other day, and um, he had this guy on there who um, wrote this book. Did I write it down? It was called uh, God's Chaos Candidate, Dr. Lance Wallen, Walnut, Walnow. And it's about how... <laughs> dude, I swear to God. God gave us Trump just to kind of shake things up a little bit. Yes. His whole thing is that um, Trump is basically the modern-day King Cyrus. And he has gone to extraordinary lengths. And apparently Benjamin Netanyahu believes this as well, and even announced it at one point. It's like, oh, this is our... Um, King Cyrus, you know what I mean? Like, this is King Cyrus uh, in the flesh, come back on Earth, or something like that. Yeah. Um, but, anyways, the, where I was going with that was that this guy is like, there are two kinds of Christians in the world today. The Christians that grew up under Billy Graham and just kind of accept things for the way they are, and then the Christians who, you know, came to uh, know God in the, in the you know, 80s and 90s, who came sort of out of a different kind of Christian movement. Hey, they the said Jesus this? Movement. Yeah, this guy said this. Okay. And he was excusing Trump's Hollywood Access tape for the fact that he grew up under Billy Graham and was just a uh, a Christian just kind of going through the motions like he didn't really question any of the tenets of the faith. Or Donald anything. Trump is not a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's, the, here's, the thing, here's the thing that kind of stops me in my tracks about the whole Donald Trump thing. When they try to, like, contort themselves to make yeah. excuses for him. yeah. Donald Trump's actually on record as saying he's never felt like he had to ask God for forgiveness. Yeah. <laughs> could you imagine? Could you imagine if anybody else said that? Yeah. Besides the guy that's like just like right. propping up all the shitty tenets of their weird American capitalist techno religion. Right, right. Like, they would fricassee them. <laughs> You're right. You know what I mean? Well, um, if you spend more than one hour on that goddamn channel, you will slowly start to come unglued. Um, because Buddy, it, I spent about four years on going <laughs> eagle broadcasting. <laughs> At a certain point, it's horseshoe theory. You'll become a leftist if you spend several years on it. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Well, it's weird um, because it's all grifters. You know, it's all. Gri- I mean, like I'm having a hard time talking just now because I've spent the last probably four hours just watching various videos. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, like, not only is it. I mean, it's grifters, but the content is tremendous. Oh, Tre- yeah, yeah. Tremendous content. Great content. Like, I was watching it the other day. I was watching, you know, Jim Baker's got this guy on. Uh, his name is Frank Davis. He always comes on and does this whole food supplement thing or, like, a nutritional shake thing, kind of like the buckets. But it, it, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because this is something that's been going on in the contemporary Christian-like sort of TV preacher thing for a long time is in the 90s, Benny Hinn was doing... Uh, chelated therapy uh-huh you know what i mean yeah like um i think that's where you like you, you do something try to pull metals out of your body or something <laughs> like that it's all this like crazy you know like pseudo-scientific bullshit it's basically if you look at it today it's like cernovich and the boys hawking nootropics oh it's exactly it's that. in that same wheelhouse the yeah. thing is that the, where they differ well, I haven't actually looked at the price of your, you know, the going price of your standard fair nootropic, but I feel like where they differ is that the things they offer mm-hmm. um, on Jim Baker and stuff are exorbitant. Like, this guy was hawking, like, supplement powder, basically the equivalent of emergency, for 92 bucks a pop, just for a box of it, man, just like 12 little packets. <laughs> 
So they're just like, they're just out to gouge. Well, absolutely. And so you know, like, old people, because that's only really the only people that watch this. Old people and you know middle age boomers and middle aged people like that. Yeah. I mean, like they're probably just eating it up. They're like, oh yeah, and it's hilarious because the guy is like trying to explain what's in it. He's like, we've got all these ingredients. We've got so many ingredients. We've got more ingredients than any other thing out there right now. Look at all these ingredients. They're even like adopting like Trump's cadences, <laughs> like trying to hawk their products. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. They will when it uh, when um. Fucking Regent University has the Donald J. Trump School of Business open up, <laughs> and like you know how to be a salesman, like how to make deals. Well, at the Clinton School of Public Service, they teach classes about Clinton's like nonverbal cues <laughs> and like his like really, gen- yeah, like it's. So I, I used to think that was like, oh well, that's interesting, but no, it's fucking creepy. <laughs> and they'll do that same thing with Trump. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, it's like trying to mold people. Well, it's like people see a successful person and they're like, "That's what you want to be." We can help you do that. Um, yeah, no. So they're like selling exorbitant products. Um, one that I saw was this guy. Um, a recurring series they have on the Jim Baker show is um, about how water, uh, drinking water out of your faucet's bad. And by the way, so I need to say this straight up: Jim Baker's entire model. The only like the the his entire sort of um, reason for existing and and his entire model for his show is to point out things in the world that are harbingers of the coming apocalypse in the end times, um, and to then use that to sell a product. So, for example, same. Th- I would put him in the same category as like a Jack Van Impey, who we just played a little bit. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. The Doomsday Preacher, but the Doomsday thing is always to get you to buy something. Exactly. Yeah, and Jack Van Impey is actually pretty, pretty fun to watch yeah. too. It, completely insane. Just because he's completely insane, <laughs> been at, dude. <laughs> A different level of brain breakage, like brain disease, brain worms, is when you've been crazy on TV for four decades. Yeah. <laughs> every single day. Jack Van Impey runs on TV every, every single day. day. He's got a daily program. He's been batshit nuts for for at least 40 years. Oh, man. I'm ar- Maybe 30 Doing this podcast like. game for two years, and I'm already batshit insane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Three feet of difference between being a podcaster and being a TV preacher. Yeah, the line is thin. Very thin. Yeah, there's only three feet of difference between the two. That's what I've realized watching these shows. I'm like, man, these people are really no different than me and Tom. (laughs) (laughs) We believe what we believe in. They believe in doomsday seeds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jim Baker, what a thing he likes to do is, um, for example, like what I was just saying, like with the whole food su- supplements, he's like. It's the end times. So you need to stay healthy. Like, that's his thing. Like, he's like, it's, you know, the world is ending, so you got to stay healthy. Why not do it with the with the, with this whole food supplement shake? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, but another thing he also does a lot is um, he's a big, like, don't drink tap water guy. Yeah. He's always got some guy on talking about how you don't want to drink tap water because there's all kinds of chemicals in it that'll fuck are, you up. Are they anti-vaxxers too, probably? I would you say. know, I would... I would I've would. i never seen any evidence of that, but I, I wouldn't doubt I it. I would not doubt yeah. it at all. I would not doubt it at all. Yeah. But um, the 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 most hilarious price gouge, um, the most hilarious con on that show that I saw was this guy coming on talking about the, you know, bad water quality of tap water and everything to sell his own product. It's called, like, Seychelles... Uh, bundle water or something like that. Yeah. And, and, you know, 
as Jim Baker's talking, he's got he's got him stacked up behind him, you know, like he's in the warehouse of a Sam's Club or something. Um, and he was selling these for a hundred and fifty dollars. And what are they? Water bottles? <laughs> it's just water. <laughs> just water. Clean water. It's just water. It's just like water that they probably filtered in his garage or something like that. <laughs> for a hundred, and they always phrase it like for this. how much. I like feel like it's 150 bucks, like a case of water. Yeah, like a case. It looked like maybe like maybe three dozen or four dozen or something. <laughs> and it's it's crazy, man, because it's like uh, it's like, you know, yeah, I don't know. It, it's just absolutely. <laughs> it's it's funny the, uh, you know, I, I was reading about Kenneth Copeland a little bit this weekend, and and do you remember when Mike Huckabee went on? Kenneth Copeland. No, like he no. used to be a regular guest on Kenneth really? Copeland when he'd have books coming out or when he was running for president. Okay, actually, yeah. like they all threw their weight behind him, and in fact, Mike Huckabee threw an event, like one of those like three thousand dollar a plate like fundraising dinners for his presidential campaign, on the premises of Kenneth Copeland Ministries, uh, <laughs> which I think was some sort of like conflict with federal tax law because like you know kenneth copeland's like oh like a tax exempt and he's and he's like renting out that to people running for office yeah that is a good point like you're not i mean traditionally yeah you're right like the separation of church and state is sort of supposed to be a barrier between that the way they phrase these things is hilarious though it's like for a donation of 150 dollars you get this product yeah, it's like it's never that you're like actually paying. for It's the free with a donation of yeah. to the ministry. Yeah, that's the way around it. That's how we got to restructure our Patreon tiers. Right, the episodes are free with your donation <laughs> of two hundred ninety-five dollars a month. Exactly. Yeah, a love offering. Right, right. right. They'll sometimes say. Well, the the funny another th- funny thing about Jim Baker is that he's um he's always like building shit and. uh Never really doing anything. Uh, he's always taking a lot of people's money, and I mean, he got busted for it in the eighties, but pretty much, right? I mean, was he one, was he one of the guys? Do you remember? I mean, and these people are fucking super annoying too. But do you remember James Randi, the skeptic? <laughs> There's all the time trying to bust like the yeah. TV preachers and stuff. Yeah, I remember. Rand- it's, it's one of those things. Like I, you, you almost encounter the analogous thing on Twitter these days with like you know like the. Bernie Bros and like the donut Twitter people and all this shit. Well, dude, honestly, um, it's the same thing now with people who like. Anytime you ever see a tweet or something start off with, as a ninth generation coal miner or as someone raised in a rural area, as someone raised, they on preface a farm, it with their bona fides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. People do this all the fucking time. Like the rural gatekeepers, like the people who are like this sort of spokespeople of rural America or right. anything like that. It's all the same shit. Yeah, the playbook is identical. Like, it, it, it's so it's so funny that, like, I even see, like, my training in the church has opened my eyes to seeing different things about the way the left is organizing. Yeah, yeah. And, like, the proselytization. And even, like, when we talk about, like, radicalizing people. How's that in how is it yeah, any different in tactic from getting somebody safe? You're right. It you it does seem to indicate that there's this point of being that you pass through to reach a sort of state of you know wokeness, radicalization or whatever you want to call whatever. it. Whatever. Coming to some sort of consciousness. Well, I mean, I guess that's the whole point. That's I mean I think I guess leftism has always been that. I mean, yeah. you know, Marx had a sort of formulation for it, false consciousness as opposed to like class consciousness and stuff. Right. I mean, it's all 
it's all a religion. I mean, it's yeah. all. <laughs> Yeah, that just happens to be the one that I believe in. But yeah, right. <laughs> it's I don't know. It's just funny to see all those sort of parallels. Yeah, yeah. But sure. uh, you know, back back to the Kenneth Copeland uh, Mike Huckabee thing. So like that was kind of a scuttlebutt because of I you know it violated campaign finance law and a bunch of different bunch of different shit. Right. And uh, when they were like investigating that in the same investigation, it was. Um, when they were talking about how they were using their private jets, uh-huh. and Kenneth Copeland's private jet had like an inordinate amount of stopovers in Maui and Honolulu, <laughs> <laughs> and this motherfucker said all those trips were for pilots' rest <laughs> or to preach. <laughs> oh man! Well, it's the thing is, is that um, you know, people don't really. It's a, it's just a perfect grift because this is another thing I realized this weekend is that so much of um you know grifting in this country targets the elderly. Yeah. Whether it's QVC or whether it's televangelists, it's it's specifically targeting the elderly and getting them to to expropriate the money of the elderly. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's fucked up, man. It's really fucked up. It's insanely fucked up. And, and man, you may tell you what this and like my mom's not a rube at all. It just tells you like how like sophisticated this stuff has got. Yeah. Like my mom has came to me with shit like that she thought was like that not that she got into it, but was like, Yeah, is this legit? And you know, like I know it's like, no, no, fuck no, stay right. away and you know, also quit putting your credit card information on like, you know, <laughs> This this one weird trick to erase belly fat sites, you know. Uh, but but like you're right. It's like there is like the only American religion is extracting resources from the poor, elderly, infirm, and working classes, yeah. and transferring it to uh-huh. you know grifters, capitalists, landowners, any manner of bourgeois. Yeah, it's it's really crazy. But in the case of sort of GEB, there's a specific culture that's, like, sort of grown up around it. And that's why, like, spending more than just a few hours in that world can start to make you feel like you're, like, am I a bad person? Like, what is, you know what I mean? Like, there's no good person in that world. No. Every bad, every person in that world is bad. Is bad. <laughs> I it's mean. It's totally bad. Or willfully ignorant. Yeah, at, or at best. Yeah, yeah, at best. You know, I, I, it's it's funny. When I was a kid, I sent five dollars to Kenneth Copeland one time. I would get it. <laughs> really? I, yeah, I did, and uh, I got every fucking mailing in the world after that. Like, and everyone is like trying to shake you down for money. Yeah. God gave me this vision. Here's the scriptures this week. Blah blah blah. I mean, it's the easiest, the easiest fucking grift in the world. If you have an ounce of charisma, is to be a TV preacher. Yeah, for sure, for sure. You have all the tax benefits. You pay zero taxes. You live lavish. The only weird part I think about it is, like, if I was unreasonably wealthy, I just want to be like getting fucked up and partying all the time. And like, <laughs> I feel like as a TV preacher, you just can't like enjoy your like ill-gotten gain that much. Well, guys, like. Because if you slip up, the grift's over, like, publicly. That's you know? true, that's true. I mean, you'd be a total shithead fucker, like, reactionary con man, but, like, if you couldn't, like, you know... Yeah. You have to cuss keep... or drink in public, <laughs> you know? Yes, exactly. You have to safeguard your, like, public reputation. Yeah. Well, the thing about Jim Baker is that 
Dude, surely the guy parties. I mean, surely. Or or did or something. I mean, like, look, he was having extramarital. He did get caught. He did get busted. All these motherfuckers have mistresses. Yes, and, the then, and then he came back. He, then, you know what I mean? And then he, like, people forgave him and whatever. Yeah. And he comes right back. But, um, yeah, no, uh, another thing that he, another segment he has on his show is he has this Scottish guy come out named Phil O'Cameron. I'm convinced is not actually Scottish. He has a the fakest accent I've ever heard. He probably is Scottish. Who the fuck knows? But regardless, every Scottish accent sounds fake. Yeah, <laughs> right. You just like do that like weird cat purr, That's and then it's like broken English on top of that. I could I just tried it and it all sounded just like you know what I mean. Fat <laughs> <That> bastard. <laughs> it's a hard accent to. It's I can't fucking. Do it's it. if you can't do it, it's going to be cringe worthy. Every time. Uh, what are you doing, Tom? I think it's a little Irish. But what, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't think that's it either. <laughs> Anyways, Philip Cameron's job is to get people to give at least $45 a month. A month. So Jim Baker can build his... Um, don't chew the Bible. That's sacrilegious. So but Jim Baker can build a tiny little chapel on top of some mountain like Tennessee or something like that. $45 a month, man. <laughs> That's a lot. Hey, even Bernie only asked for 27 Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a strange fucking grift, man. And, um, those fundraising mechanisms, man, are like, like, okay, I'll, I'll give you an example. If anybody that's ever owed a student loan debt, mm-hmm, knows that like you know they'll just like sell that shit down the river like you'll like pay on it for like two years and they'll sell it off to somebody else and they'll bump the interest back up and you'll owe like you know like three times as much as you've like put in all this kind of stuff and yeah. and, and and you know it'll have been owned by five or six different entities and the way they do that is like you know these people just go buy an excel spreadsheet off some fucker in cincinnati ohio or something and then just like send people bills yeah. You know, that if, like, you just went to court, like, right. you could probably prove that you didn't know. Yeah. Well, the TV preaching racket is a lot the same way. You see, like, when you give Kenneth Copeland $5, like I did when I was 14. You're in a system. Then you're in a system. <laughs> and then now you get, you're getting letters from Jesse Duplantis. You're getting letters from Creflo Dollar. You're getting letters from Oral Roberts Ministries. You're getting letters from Billy Graham. You're getting letters from uh, who the fuck ever else. Yeah, dude. And uh, before you know it, you're in, in deep. And let me tell you something. Elderly people that are sick and unwell and kind of shut in, they, like, lean on these fucking vermin for entertainment, kind of, and, like, for some sort of uplifting message every day. They key on them. I mean, if you ever watch the end of, like, one of those broadcasts, it's like, do you have any needs? Yes. Physical, spiritual, financial? Yeah. And then the idea is that they've created this weird pseudo-system, like a science, almost like Marxism for, like, weird fucking Christians. Uh Uh-huh. And it's like the system's called seed faith. It's it's market based in the language around it already, and they use scriptures in like Mark and Matthew that talk about you know if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, right? You know you reap what you sow, all that kind of like those sorts of cliches, right? And so, in a way, it is consumerism in its most distilled, pure form. It's like you're giving your. It's sort of like when the the church used to sell like indulgences or whatever, you know, in the Middle Ages. It's 
exactly like that. And what they do is it, the idea is that if you need a financial harvest, you need to give your money to, you need to plant your seed in our ministries. Right. And then once we go preach the gospel, your money, it's like a re- your return on investment is that you're going to have financial, yeah. you know, Except, uh, finances coming to your life. Yeah. If you have a physical need, then you need to give us money yeah. and let us go pray for other sick people. That way you can get healed. You know, yeah. your faith has, their faith has healed you. And uh, and just on and on, you know, and it's just a, a racket to like pray on the know. elderly, pretty much. Well, it, it, again, this is the thing. It's like um, so much of our system. I mean, there's really no regulation on it. I mean, I, I know like it's kind of lib. Like John Oliver had a segment about it at one point, Which but is pretty good in fairness. Yeah, no, it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, but like you know, a lot of these things just go on without accountability. And um, but so much of our system. Again, I spent most of my time with elderly people this weekend. <laughs> so I was like, you don't really think about it, but a lot of our sisters. Uh, now that I'm with you, let me just ask you a question. How does it feel to wake up every day on the brink of death? How do you manage that? <laughs> well, that's the thing. You're, you know the end is in sight, my friend. Yeah. Like, you know, you're on borrowed time. As my grandpa said over the weekend, well, I got my card punched. So, you know what I mean? You know your card is punched. Yeah, you're okay. I've heard I've heard those all the time say at my age you don't buy ripe bananas. <laughs> <laughs> or unripe bananas. But they will vote. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they will vote. Yeah. But no, the thing is is that a lot of them are preyed upon whether it's QVC or televangelists or whatever. But another thing is like hospice care and like elderly, you know, nursing homes and stuff. And it's bleak out there. Well, also it's like there's a business of keeping them alive to extract every ounce of, you know what I mean? Yes, exactly. Like we're way more humane to our pets than we are to our elderly. No, you're exactly right. Like, it's like the whole process, the whole thing is keeping them alive to yeah. get as much money out of them as It's possible. funny. I was thinking about, I was reading this thing about the, the artist William de Kooning the other day. And, uh, oh, the visual artist? De Kooning. Oh, you know man. what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking and about. And they were talking about, like, uh, you know, um, that it, it had nothing to do with being elderly, but it was like um, he was talking about style. Style is inherent in you. It's like you know, it's how you walk. It's how you you know you smoke a cigarette or whatever. It's right. it's how Willem de Kooning could keep churning out de Koonings, even though like he like needed his ass wiped for him like the last fifteen years of his life or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. And I thought about that like this this country and this world in general really is just designed to just extract max extract every ounce of surplus value out of you <laughs> yes, man. like the like dude didn't even know his fucking name and was still turning out like you know million dollar pieces and shit for somebody else <laughs> you know yeah, that's absolutely true so no it's pretty bleak um well so that's jim baker um there's a few others, and we, uh, yeah, you know, there's Jack MP and or Jack Van MP, and there's um, Marilyn and Sarah Hickey. Oh, Marilyn Hickey was my mom's favorite. Yeah, she's like, you know, she's like charismatic, like word of faith yeah, healing, healing like preacher. That. Yeah, right. Um, the Doomsday Preachers, though, you're right, are the most interesting to watch. They're the the Jack Van MPs, the Jim Bakers, the uh, John Hagee's in that. Yes, definitely in that. John Hagee dabbles in all of it, but he's mostly a. We gotta punish Iran and <laughs> and. Christians don't need to try to convert Jewish people. They're already getting in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, back to that Jack Van Impey quote, though, real quick. He loved the Jew. It's like, Jesus was a Jew. 
it's um okay so but this brings me to the most fascinating show on GEB hands down might even be more fascinating than Jim Baker maybe not because it doesn't have the characters the thing about Jim Baker is that there's multiple characters you know yeah. you've got Jim and his kids and Lisa and these yeah. people this show you might know about it Sid Roth ring any bells Sid Roth Sid it's Roth. supernatural that's the name of the show. Sid Roth, It's Supernatural. Was Sid Roth, did he have another beat before he was into the Christian stuff? He he could have. I feel like that was like a mainstream show, and maybe he just didn't pan out there, so he took his act to the Christian <laughs> world. You might be right. I don't know, though. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I should look it up. I didn't know. I had never heard about him until I started watching the show. Yeah. Um. But his beat is... Like supernatural occurrences, miracles. Yeah. But he almost kind of does it in like an X Files type way. He brands himself as an investigative reporter. Like that's his brand. He's not a televangelist. He's not, you know, he's not like that. He's, his thing is that he's an investigative reporter just trying to find the truth. You know right. what I'm saying? And, um, so he. Okay. It sounds like he's always been kind of into the Christian thing. Okay. Maybe I'm getting mixed up with somebody else. Um, at age 30, he was married with one daughter and working in Merrill Lynch as an account executive when he left to explore the New Age. A Christian businessman challenged him that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, and after reading the Jewish scriptures, Roth felt this may be true. <laughs> after a negative experience with the supernatural, he prayed to Jesus and immediately felt peace and love. That's the thing. He's really into the supernatural. Um, He's kind of... um. um <clears throat> Kind of like one of the sort of um, anti-Semitic Jews for Jesus type right. of guys, yeah. Right, right. Watch this. Listen to this video. <laughs> Dude, I was laughing my ass off. Free came up. Centuries have come and gone, offering wisdom and understanding throughout the ages. Today, there should be nothing beyond one's power to discover. And yet the strange, unusual, and mysterious world of the supernatural defies understanding. Stay tuned for a unique and powerful investigation into a curious, undiscovered universe only on It's Supernatural. Real bad, real bad graphics, real bad everything. But Hello, I'm Sid Roth, your investigative reporter. I'm here with Joan and Bob Nast. Six million dollars. Counterfeited. <laughs> Caught. You look like such a nice couple. What are you doing counterfeiting six million dollars? Well... Said I figured if the government could print it and it's not worth any anything, I must, I might as well do the same thing. I have no did, idea did why he's in it. Think you might get caught? I didn't even think about getting caught. <laughs> Joan, did you know what he was doing? Yes. Were you worried? I, I just want to point out one thing. This video clip no, is called we "A Witch Placed Her Image on My Cancerous Tumor." <laughs> Audience, it's supernatural. <laughs> So money meant nothing. It was just money meant nothing. Happy. I don't know why. How did you feel when your husband there, was caught? There's one other. I don't know why it started there, but that's hilarious, man. There's one other you're leaving out. Who? There is one greater than even Sid Roth, my friend. Who is that? The undisputed king <laughs> of sort of televangelist entertainment 
Bob Larson. <laughs> Bob Larson is unfuck withable. But he was not. Like, Bob, Bob Larson is right. He the was exorcist. He, right, he was a, but he was also an evangelist, right? Like he was. But no, his beat is casting out demons, and and <laughs> pull some Bob Larson up of him casting out demons. It's fucking hilarious, dude. He'll lay hands on somebody and he'll say, "Who's in there?" And then the person will go, "Ah, this is lust, <laughs> but also greed and envy." <laughs> but he's. Was was Bob, was Bob Larson Catholic? No, <laughs> really, dude. His is like his is the the like marijuana Satanism. Okay, I'm gonna have to click on a video that says marijuana Satanism. That's uh, clickbait. So what is it? Is it like if you're possessed, you're high on marijuana? (laughs) Hell yeah, baby. I don't know. Bob Larson does exorcism on Veronica, whose violent demons had to be restrained. Yeah, do that one. Do that one. All right, all right, all right. Veronica of Indianapolis had some violent demons in her. Anger and murder came from generational curses. So why is Bob Larson dressed up in a priest's outfit? It's just part of the part gimmick. Of the gimmick. Yeah. Okay, he's but just he's living the gimmick like Ric Flair, you know. <laughs> All right, let's get to the actual exorcism part, Bob. Look. Look. Look at him. He's, he's staring. Where's the demon? What other left podcast is playing motherfucking demons? Bob Larson videos. Has the content well gone that dry? <laughs> I'd argue it's a wellspring, my friend. Oh, fuck. Go with him now. Oh, fuck. Say hi, Veronica. Hi, Veronica. In fairness, Veronica looks like she got a little murder in her eye. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. She does... Um, Holy <laughs> shit. Wait, 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 wait. I need to rewind that. I forgive them. Sacrificed me. Go with him now. Holy shit. He gets into races. What? Say hi, Veronica. Hi, Veronica. Break the curses of my ancestors. Break the curses of my ancestors. The Aztecs and the Mayans. Holy <laughs> shit! <laughs> I told you to stay out of the way. Go down. Come on, Veronica. Come back. 
Don't do it, Veronica. Keep them. Keep the Aztecs in the mines, Veronica. I break the curse of the bastard on my children. So what's the curse? The pagan religions of the Aztecs in the mines? I think he's saying that. I think he's saying that the Aztecs and the Mines were a violent people <laughs> and the generational curses have followed Maya. Or Veronica. Veronica. No, well, he did say that. He said, break the curse, the generational curse. Didn't he say, I've been sacrificed? Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. Are you the strong man? <laughs> Are you Hugo Chavez? <laughs> Are you Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spot? Oh fuck! Oh man! I mean, dude, the thing is, and this is why it's a perfect grift, is because it's limitless. If you can go back and exercise demons from past religions, civilizations, you can riff forever. You can riff forever. <laughs> Trust me, somebody that's a content miner. I know. Content wells never run dry. <laughs> they never run dry. You can riff forever. You're exactly right. Uh, you could find somebody who descended from, you know, bubonic plague victims. You can find somebody who descended from, I don't know, Emperor Hirohito or something in Japan. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. anything is on is on the table. It's limitless. It's absolutely You might limitless. say it's supernatural. <laughs> I'm telling you, dude, Sid Roth is pretty, pretty, pretty crazy. He had this guy on when I was watching it the other night. He had this guy on who, um, who claimed that he had a Bible that um, uh, secreted oil. <laughs> and I swear to God, <laughs> yeah. So he put it on his desk at the top of the show. He had the guy on, and it kind of felt exploitative a little bit. Like it kind of felt like this guy was kind of like a sort of hillbilly type country bumpkin guy from yeah. like the backwoods who had a bible for whatever reason it was like oil was coming out of it i mean it was obviously a grift it wasn't real yeah but sid roth kept it up on this desk the entire show even when he was interviewing other people <laughs> he had his bible in a big tub of oil and it was just gradually filling up <laughs> Well, and, and the fascinating part about this, I wish I could find the clip. There's no way I'm going to be able to find it right now. But he, Sid Roth was, you know, and this is how you know Sid Roth is, is a grifter. He, yeah. he doesn't actually Well, I knew that when you told me that he he, he matriculated from uh, Merrill Lynch <laughs> into, you know, right. the TV preacher grift. Right. Well, he was interviewing this guy about the Bible, and um, the guy was giving a very long-winded uh, answer. <laughs> I forgot all about this. The guy gave a, he was like, he was like, tell me about how this Bible has impacted your life and what it's done for you. He was like, well, my nephew, uh, it got, uh, you know, it, he was unemployed and he needed a job and he was at a, a Sam's Club or Kroger or something like that and he saw a broom and so he started sweeping up the floor and the manager came by and said, you need a job, young man? Why don't you come by for an interview next week? And he did. He didn't get the job, but his <laughs> <laughs> Sid Roth was like interesting. And so the guy, so the guy kept tra- telling stories like that 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 did not actually demonstrate the power of the Bible. Yeah. And so you could tell Sid Roth was getting kind of irritable with him, and he was like, like "Give me something, yes, man!" <laughs> exactly. He goes, and so at one point he just slips. The mask slips, and he goes, 
wow, you really believe this stuff, don't you? <laughs> I wish I could find the clip. I'll find it. I could definitely find it. <laughs> Just completely fed up with this imbecile. <laughs> completely. Pretty funny, man. Come pretty funny. It you know it's uh, it's it's uh that shit could only really exist in a country like this. Oh yeah, totally. Well, it's 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 our specific sort of like blend of consumer like hyper predatory consumerist capitalism, our um, obsession with the media. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In specific media forms. Um, you know our ex- obsession with the con, uh, you know, yeah. and the scamming people, and uh, you're right; it could yeah. only exist. Well, in this and also, and also, but also, if you look at the proliferation of like that sort of charismatic Christianity, uh, if you look at where it's really blowing up at, it's all places that capital is ravaged. Yeah, totally. So it's like basically what what they're trying to bring into the mainstream, what they're trying to bring into vogue is this is you don't need to worry because this is what you're at least this is what you're left with yeah heaven and the promise of like all you gotta do is pray for your health and (laughs) what that does is it just provides cover for them to like the insurance companies to run roughshod yeah right right and just to just completely decimate everything no for sure that's why jim baker is like you need to stay healthy in the end times you're gonna do it with this little powder I've got. It's got so many ingredients. Yeah. I can't even imagine how many ingredients it's got. Yeah, <laughs> so many ingredients. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. Give me a second. I gotta take off this sweatshirt real quick. I'm burning up. Okay. <laughs> Just throw that sweater in the fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, uh, what I'd like to do eventually. Um, on this show is try to do like a C.S. Lewis reading series or something like yeah. some sort of like uh, exploration of that. Um, but it's it's becoming increasingly clear to me that you know I haven't been in the church in a long time, but it's becoming increasingly clear to me that there are a lot of contradictions within it that are becoming harder and harder to sort of manage. To square and yeah, to sort of square and yeah. control. So it's it's funny. It's like their their trajectory sort of mirrors what the billionaire class is like feeling a little bit right now. Yeah, probably a little. You bit. know. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's weird. I mean, you've got <clears throat> sort of, you know, you've got this sort of grifters like Jim Baker who don't do the prosperity gospel thing. That's not Jim Baker's thing. He's, um, you know, he's. The doomsday guy, he's the whatever. He's playing on like your the fears that like all the big, you know, like Adam Curtis talks about hypernormalization. All the big uh, like disaster action films says like bread in all America. Exactly, you know, it, and which, a lot of be damned is going to come to pass soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. It's all in a lot of his episodes. He's even got certain episodes titled some stuff like Trump Apocalypse and stuff like that. Oh my God. Um. Like they really, he call he's referred to Trump as the wrecking ball and stuff like that. Like he thinks that this is the uh, whatever. But so you got that that kind of grifter in the church, and then you've got the um, maybe sort of adjacent to that is uh, what Joel Osteen, right? Who I mean, I'd never really, I'd always ignored him. I mean, you gotta understand when I was a Christian, I ignored a lot of these things. Like I yeah. was like, this is heresy. This is not. This is heresy. <laughs> I plead the blood, Lord. <laughs> it's like I, I plead the blood. Right, give it the blood, Lord. 
I was watching them the other night, and it is just phenomenal how like many people are in his sermons. I mean, like we're talking a full stadium, man. Well, he bought the compact center where the Houston Rockets used to play. That is Lakewood Church now. That's incredible. Houston, so like a place that probably held ten thousand or so people. Yeah, and and it's really weird to think about because it is so out of place in modern, in in sort of modern society. Yeah, like. When we generally think of like mass movements like that, where people can turn out, you know, by the hundreds of thousands, their very individuality is stripped away into this large collective mass. We generally think of things like, you know, in the, you know, Stalin's Russia, and you know what I mean, like, or you know what I mean, like, or the fifties and six. I don't know. We just don't really. It's out of place in two thousand and nineteen. Yeah, but it is still going on in in those type of churches in those type of spaces. Yeah, yeah. Joel Osteen's an interesting character because he's he is somehow skirted all the trappings of like the sort of like just lowbrow con man TV preacher. Yeah, guy, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like sort of become America's preacher type. He, I would say, he's kind of the heir apparent to Billy Graham in some ways, for sure. And basically, but what he's people got similar hair. Yeah, this b- bouncy fucking like Rand Paul perm looking thing yeah, with the yeah. mullet sort of. Yeah, but Joel Osteen also comes out of that same lineage. I mean, his dad John Osteen was a contemporary. Oral Roberts was a contemporary. Right. Kenneth Hagen, like right. his mom, uh, wrote a book saying that she was healed of liver cancer through prayer after giving just weeks to live. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny. All the miracles always happen in all these TV preachers' families. Um, so, you know, you've got that, and then, uh, you know, you've got, like, maybe on the sort of opposite end of the political spectrum, I haven't kept up with this in years, I don't even know if it's still out there, but, you know, like the blue, like, jazz, Donald Miller type people, Mm -hmm. the people who want to make- Rob Bell. Who's Rob Bell? Rob Bell was the guy that questioned the existence of hell in, like, 2010. (laughs) Uh... And it's Tom, like we should have stayed in this fucking world. We could have made a killing. Oh, dude! Yeah, we're we're ready for it. Uh, we should do a spinoff podcast that just examines the stuff. Well, so I mean, like, there's this huge question. Uh, apparently, well, it's not huge, but um, I swiped this book from my grandma's uh, from my grandma's nightstand. It wasn't her nightstand. It was her. Um, uh, table in the living room. It's called Why I Left the Contemporary Christian Mo- Music Movement. <laughs> Your grandma was reading up on the evils of CCM, huh? Yes, she was. I mean, I always kind of suspected that she didn't agree with it, which is really funny to me. Um, like, that's how far sort of conservative she was. You know what I mean? Like, she. So, like, this author, Dan Lucarini, is his name. He wrote this book, Why I Left the Contemporary Christian Music Movement. And so I, dude, I, I had to take it, of course. Yeah. I was sitting there, I was like, talking to my brother, I was like, dude, this is content gold. Um, But, like, some of the reasons why he, like, you know, is talking about, like, um, you know, so, like, we've talked about it on the show before, Um, you know, the sort of CCM, as they call it, whatever, sort of originated out of, like, the Jesus movement in the 60s or right. 70s. And the whole point was to be like, um, you know, as he says here, uh, it was this mentality of just come as you are, you know, yeah. come as you are, come to the church, not in the Nirvana way either. Uh, yeah. But like, um, yeah, 
you know, rags, whatever, filth, whatever, come as you are. Well, it's like Dan Licarini doesn't agree with that formulation. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, nah, son, this is not. Take a bath before you show up. <laughs> Go buy a new suit. New shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as he as he explained it, um, he's like, uh, acceptance. I've highlighted this part. Acceptance doctrine is so pervasive in some fellowships. He sees this as a problem that a lot of churches have tried to start adopting the, um, you know, tolerance doctrines in mainstream society. So he thinks that's a slippery slope to like. <laughs> Accepting homosexuality and whatever. Yes, that's okay. exactly right. That is exactly right. Acceptance doctrine is so pervasive in some fellowships that Christians are no longer allowed to question another Christian's behavior or personal preferences. If you confront them, <laughs> if, <laughs> if you confront another in love, you will be accused of judging them. If you dare quote chapter and verse from the Bible, you will be called a Pharisee. If a church has any practices that step on the toes of anyone's personal preferences, then it is considered to be a legalistic church. <laughs> so yeah it's like he's he takes issue with the whole snowflake uh you know trend in the church right now really of of cheating people with fairness and kindness and stuff oh, so like he's that. like wants to get back to the strongman tactics pretty much yeah 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 like he he like what he says is like there's no uh there's no well, okay this is pretty funny why i had to leave um, firstly, I could no longer accept the premises undergirding the CCM philosophy. So let me ask you a question. What was this guy, what was his deal? Was he in a band? Was he, he like was a, a show promoter? He was like a worship leader. He was like in a worship band, like a worship leader. Like a, Lord, I lift your name. One of those guys, okay. Yeah, acoustic guitars, a drum set that's behind like a 10-foot wall of plastic plexiglass or yeah. something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why they always had his play behind those. Whatever. Um... Uh, you know. Okay. Secondly, when I saw what the Bible teaches about true worship and what it really means to be in the presence of God, I became sickened at the way my generation so glibly used profane and vulgar music accompanied by vulgar dress to offer up worship and praise to a holy God. Thirdly, to preserve my marriage and to be faithful to God in all things, I needed to separate from the temptations <laughs> that were ever present in the CCM setting. The ego gratification and attraction to the female members of the worship team. <laughs> Man, you wouldn't believe it. These uh, these girls in the worship bands are just busting it open. <laughs> I mean, dude, I, I, he's got a chapter called Seducing the Saints. This is great. I mean, I'm skipping over this a lot. This gets into a little bit of the Mike Pence stuff, doesn't it? Yes. Like being along with female band members. <laughs> does it absolutely does so he's got some arguments about like oh there's some for the sort of philosophical arguments like oh there's no philosophical ar there's no argument in the bible that would justify accepting people as they are right like apparently as one at one point he says like even jesus told people that they had to change and stuff like that whatever um but uh so but then the fun the where the real meat of this though is is in the part about it, it's very obvious reading this that his whole reason for writing this book was just this short chapter. <laughs> like everything else is just window dressing for this little nugget. For this yeah. little nugget. Am I the only one who has noticed that some of the ladies in the worship teams 
or performing performing special music or wearing provocative dresses or tight revealing clothing and doing so on the platform in full view of the congregation they are imitate they are imitating secular female artists who dress that way purposefully to tease and tempt men ladies, <laughs> <laughs> ladies little tip rain it in and cover it up cover it up ladies the apostle the apostle paul commanded you to dress in modest appeal apparel with propriety and moderation he also said we are not to have even the slightest hint of immorality in our lives my wife judy tells me that a woman's style of dress can do more than just hints it can advertise oh my god i admit that my old sinful nature retains certain lustful tendencies and i continually have to guard my eyes in order to stay starve such desires <laughs> i'm not alone so do millions of other christian men and boys Ladies, please do not put a stumbling block in front of us with your immodest apparel. <laughs> that could that be the title of this episode? Yes, ladies, don't put a stumbling block before <laughs> us with your immodest apparel. Well, it's like that. It's hilarious, man. It's like a, it's like that story I told you, like when I was in high school and I was at church camp and they brought us all into a room, probably a hundred or something, teenage boys. Just to talk to us about jacking off. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I got to tell you something. <laughs> Huddle around here. And this guy got did up you know, <laughs> Yeah. No. Did you know? <laughs> did you know that if you do it in your shower in your dorm room, it can clog up and... <laughs> They'll have to put up a post. You'll be incredibly embarrassed in front of all your boys. This guy got up there. He was like, sometimes you find yourself... Thinking about your friend's mothers, your friend's sisters. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, yeah. It's actually pretty. Um, central movement. It is, is it proper and modest for Christian ladies or gentlemen to dance and sway in a worldly manner while they sing praise and worship songs to God? No. I, well, I can refute this, Lugarini. David danced until his clothes came off. He saw, he, he saw you coming. He foresaw that. No, they're doing this because of the rock music style and beat, not because they want to dance before the Lord like David did. It's fine. Dumbass. It's fine to bust it open for Christ. <laughs> it's fine to fucking pop that pussy for Christ, ladies. <laughs> Twerking for Christ. Hey, <laughs> as long as it's not to rock and roll. As, music. as long as long as you're not providing a stumbling block with your immodest apparel, keep yep. keep fucking uh, mm. yeah, keep fucking busting it open. Passion is an important ingredient in worship and praise, but this same passion can become a snare to unwary participants. Does your per does your worship team mix single or divorced men and women together with those who are married? This is an open door for sexual mora immorality. If you, dude, dude, <laughs> straight up, Miss Lucarini, he caught her catching some side dick and he's like he's trying to close every door to that ever happen again he got burned because his bass player in his praise and worship band slept with his wife yeah that's 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 it in a nutshell lucarini's just in admitting to the whole church that he's a cuck yeah exactly um hold on if you put hot-blooded males and females into a passionate rock music group there will be strong temptation for sexual sins CCM styles facilitate an atmosphere where a female's innate desire to have emotional intimacy with a man can easily be achieved. 
I'll tell you this. Fucking. So just win, Judy. <laughs> fucking nothing gets me hornier than fucking jars of clay. <laughs> well, I always think of that when you said that. My friend said they, they, people were throwing panties at a Jars of Clay concert. <laughs> I don't know if I believe it, but... The problem is, most of the time, that that man is not her husband. Oh, dude, this is for sure. <laughs> he for sure got cut. He got cut, man. I know it. I can smell it from my wife. Jeremy, the worship leader, fucked his wife. No doubt about was it. Was up there singing, Lord, I lift your name up. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Locked eyes with Judy. I, Lord, pre- <laughs> prepare me f- to be a sanctuary for that fucking pussy. <laughs> for fucking Judy's pussy. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. CCM styles facilitate an atmosphere where females innate desire to have emotional intimacy with a man can easily be achieved. The problem is, most of the time, that man is not her husband. This leads to something <laughs> called emotional adultery, a problem that can later lead to physical adultery. A cozy mix. You let it manifest. <laughs> a cozy mix of. It's like they don't understand just how attraction works anyway. Like, mm. like they never thought that, like, the natural, like, just attraction you might have for somebody like they just think that like, oh my god that's outside of god's order yeah um, like that like that's such a foreign like weird thing like that that like every fucking dude or woman or what or whatever is not like you know what i mean like i'm under no illusions that like my girlfriend probably doesn't think i'm the best looking guy ever you know what yeah, i mean yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like they just can't accept that <laughs> no. you know what i mean <laughs> That's something I got over a long fucking time well, ago. The thing is, is they have no outlet for their sort of like lustful thoughts or whatever. It's like, it's 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 the sort of like classic um, reverse psychology thing, and this is why Christianity is so fascinating. If you get fifty people in a room and tell them the one thing they're not supposed to think about is sex, invariably they're all going to get horny as fuck. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they're going to get horned up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, it's just com- It's just human nature. I don't yeah. really know. A cozy mix of men and women in a worship team can also be enough to cause a division between a spouse who is on the team and one who is not. Jesus Christ. Judy wasn't on the team, so it invites jealousy and mistrust. Judy saw a unity between the men and women in my groups that did not exist between their spouses who were outside the group. This is a stumbling block to the spouse on the outside. Even if there's no physical, actual physical sin between the members of the worship team, this type of atmosphere is still wrong because it can weaken the marriage bond, leading Dude, it to break down in the future. This motherfucker is the <laughs> most jealous motherfucker alive. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, he's got Miss Lucarini, like, living under the house. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there must be at least one contemporary worship leader who is now thinking, come on, Dan, you're being a Puritan. My people can handle this without sinning. Be very careful, friend. As leaders of the church, we are never to lead the saints into temptation or any hints of immorality. Why would you even permit an environment, permit an environment of potential sexual temptation and emotional adultery to exist in your church service? <laughs> That's so fucking stupid. Oh, Tom. Man, <clears throat> it is so weird to see I mean, it kind of makes sense, though, in the Scripture. The Bible says that God's a jealous God. It is ultimately at the root of all the anxieties. And I know this is not an original take at all, but there is like this sort of like uh, sexual insecurity (laughs) that just oozes off of these people that (laughs) 
you know, become these like right wing, like fucking like crazy bastards. You know what I'm saying? You are absolutely right. That you really have to understand that that really is the sort of like central pathological feature of this type of Christian. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> and it's like really the only reason that they like dabble in racism is they're scared to death that their wife well, fucked a black dude. <laughs> scared to death. Well, it's um, it it it's partially it's. I mean, I'm oh, I'm making a joke there, but no, I know really. what you're saying. <laughs> but it's like partially that like they because they're jealous. Because that is a sort of central feature of their personalities and who they are. And look, we all get jealous, but in some people, it's like an unbridled, like, crystalline fucking feature of who they are. Uh, Christianity is perfect for that, because Christianity says that your spouse is your property. You know, your wife is your property. It's like, it's a very patriarchal thing. Uh, There's no meeting of equals. There's no actual, like, you know, understanding of each other and development of a healthy relationship it is just this constant um game of brinksmanship like oh is judy gonna fuck jeremy the worship leader <laughs> because you know that's a fantasy that's played out in his mind multiple times. and over here is bishop sexton saying let it happen <laughs> hey see if she'll let you watch that'd be fun wouldn't it <laughs> that gets you a little dick hard dan to watch jeremy fucking rail judy <laughs> Oh fuck, man! Um, Look, I'm not a sex nerd or anything. Yeah, <laughs> but but really, honestly, there there's just such weird fucking jealousy about these things that that it explains a lot about you know like I know like a lot of leftists would say you know like if like your critique of Nazis you know what I mean like you know talking about there's like various sexual pathologies and all that doesn't lead to Nazi Nazism and I think that's a fair take and. Okay, you say that. Damn sure don't help steer my wife from Nazis <laughs> either. You're right. Good point. Yeah. Well, it's the thing is like that's why you know it's so dangerous for him that like the church is trying to attract like normal everyday people as they are using secular forms such as rock and roll music. But what's so funny about this is that I played in a praise and worship band for years. Um, there's nothing about it that's really like sexy. I mean, is there like, anything that got you horned up about playing <laughs> praise and worship music? <laughs> there's plenty of things that got me horned up in youth group. Don't get me wrong, but like praise and worship necessarily. I mean, like what he's objecting to, and I, he even says it at one point, is that like rock and roll is immoral because of you know that that's the whole point. Like rock and roll can't be you know. Rehabilitated or appropriated into Christian spaces, the whole point is to make your hips move and to sort of simulate sex. Sex, and it's like, well, yeah. I mean, that's why it's awesome. I'm gonna find out where <laughs> Luke Carini lives, and I'm gonna pull up in an IROC Z, about an '82 model or so, playing Motley Crue's "Doctor Feel Good," <laughs> and then I'm gonna stand up on the hood of it and just gyrate until he comes out of the house at night. <laughs> well, he says it right here. Can rock music be used by Satan? What a question. The very names of many of the performing groups, Black Sabbath, KISS, ACDC, Sex D- Pistols. He doesn't think KISS stands for Knights in Satan's Service, does he? He literally wrote it. He wrote KISS, Night in Satan's Service. <laughs> <laughs> My God. They advertise the profane associations. 
Rock music is obviously connected with certain evil things and people. The Bible commands us to avoid and abstain from the appearance of evil. Put two and two together and you get four. Motherfucker. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. It's so funny. I I, uh, I grabbed this. I walked out to the car. My brother was like, what are you doing with that? <laughs> yeah, that was his first question. Then immediately, three seconds later, he was like, oh, man, Tom's going to love that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit! Well, we did this just to avoid talking about Bernie Sanders. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're just feeling like everybody else. Everybody else is going to run with that this week. Let's just go back to our bread and butter. Right. Let's. That's. You saw what I was doing here. Yeah. I punted. I didn't want to talk about Bernie. <laughs> I kept on being like, "How can I tie Bernie Sanders' campaign into this?" <laughs> oh fuck, man. Oh fuck. Well, there's really nothing else to say about this. Um, it's been a, it's been a crazy week, and yeah, I, I've sort of wanted to avoid talking about Bernie just because it's February 2019, and um, we got we we're <laughs> we're gonna have plenty of Bernie to talk about plenty in the coming months. Yeah. To talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, yesterday it was kind of like everybody trying to beat each other to the punch on the sort of Bernie tank and. Uh, you know, I'm just over here sipping the tea, so I'm you know, above it all. Everybody is all here's the here's the thing though. Here's the thing though. Everybody's all like get off my lawn about the various stuff. But one thing I've noticed is like where our grift is concerned, everybody's trying to steal our shine with like the teacher's tracks. Oh, I know. Man. You know what I mean? Like that's our shit. I know. I've noticed that. And I see like I see like Eric Blunt getting the likes and retweets. I know. Who is who is an obvious fucking grifter. Yeah, this guy from New York writing a book about the union just this like completely fanciful <laughs> fetishized version of like what went down the teacher's tracks it's like block i want to tell you something block i want to take you to a place called mingo county <laughs> and i want to tell you something if, been there, man. if you can come with me to mingo county <laughs> and come out with the same takes that you write about in this book i'm guessing just based on the inconsistencies in the little four words and the different things i've read about this thing coming out all right. Uh, well, he wrote a, he co-authored an article in Jacobin about like the sort of centrality of class and how it has to be how it, class has to be central to all sort of. This is the thing that drives me crazy with socialists these days. You know, I'm an old timer now. This is the thing that is, of course it's central. Like what the fuck? That's the whole point of central, socialism. Like, you know, hopefully by being a radical that's just already given right. and you can use that as a way to talk about the other fucked up features of our society patriarchy racism other stuff i you know if you really think that like the west virginia strikes prove your thesis that class about class yeah about about class and about how it is and should be central to all these sort of larger projects well, then what we're going to wind up happening is just getting some sort of, I don't know, social welfare state that expands some benefits for some people while still raiding and exp exploiting the rest of the globe for its resources. Yeah. And I'm just not satisfied with that, um, you know, and, and plenty of people could say, you know, you're well, you're missing the forest for the trees. Like, you know, and, and the thing that I was thinking about today is that it is interesting to me how every election since I've been a, you know, voting person has been, has like sort of had this dynamic in it where it's like, you're, you know, you're just holding your nose and voting for the least 
uh, the lesser evil of whatever. Right. But now it's fascinating to me that, that the center of gravity for that has, has moved to the left in, in a lot of ways. And so now you have people who you were pretty good friends with just three years ago. Now a lot of them are basically saying like, oh, yo, you're a, uh, a purist or on the opposite side, oh, you're just cynical and you're sort of, um, you know, just holding your nose and voting for the lesser evil or whatever. And it's interesting, like, how that has moved now. The center of gravity for that has now moved to Bernie. Um, whereas, yeah, just three years ago it was Hillary or... or oh, and it was like, yeah, it's like, oh, no, we're not going to do that. Like, we're not holding our nose. To but then, like, now it's like the same thing applied to Bernie now that exactly. he's viable. Exactly, exactly. And it's probably the early favorite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean... Oh, Probably man. nothing. You raised five million dollars in a day. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, it's, it's like, what? I, I think I stepped on your point that you were making though about the teacher strikes, and so I, I didn't. No, you didn't step on my point at all. I think I think something that people outside the region, <laughs> as much as I hate to say, <laughs> I hate to say use that phrase. Ow, my tooth is they don't get is that like that. Upward mobility has been repressed to the point that here's what it's, and I'll I'll extrapolate out further than that than that. When I was a kid, like you know, miners are sort of like the poster children for like the working class, or at least from 2016 kind of on, you know, and more specifically the oft talked about white working class. Yeah. When I was a kid, we did not see them as working class people. We saw them as Pettit bourgeois people yeah. in Appalachia. Their kids were the rich kids in school. Right. And that's something I think that gets lost in that whole discussion. It's like, I'm not saying they're not workers. It's kind of, you know, they're, they kind of fall into that banner of, you know, the sociological term skilled workers. Like you were talking about, you know, a couple of weeks ago with like the guys in the oil fields and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> the other side to that is, you know, up until recently, they were very well compensated, in you know, on balance with you know, service workers in the community and all this kind of stuff. And so I think if you're talking about class and you're using Appalachia as sort of your case study in that, yes. you're getting it fucked up. Yeah, you're going to get a pretty skewed. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Just to connect it back to the teachers, I think the teachers, you know, and don't get me wrong, I'm very moved by like what's happening in West Virginia right now, and particularly like with the bus drivers and the people that are kind of, you yeah. know, sort of, ancillary figures to what's going on with yeah, the teacher awesome. strikes is is even more powerful to me in some ways <clears throat> but uh you know when you're trying to talk about class and you're talking and you're using dispatches from Appalachia you're going to get it fucked up if you don't talk about you know like I think people think when we're talking about coal miners we're talking about you know in the poverty of Appalachia those things are connected right and they are in the broader sense that like coal mining, the coal industry has created conditions that keep a lot of people in poverty. But if you're talking about the miner as part of that, then it gets a little complicated. Well, the thing is, is like they don't really understand. And this is what kills me when people from New York get a book deal or whatever to write about this is that they don't understand like the way that this the role that those workers have in rural communities. Right. Look, y you know. When we talk about like Trump country and why a lot of these places like vote conservative or vote against their interests or whatever, what we're actually talking about is a very well-oiled engine of sort of ideological production and indoctrination. And so in a rural community, 
those that layer of workers, the sort of skilled, noble workers, as you were just saying, the sort of like more masculine skilled professions that make quite a bit of money. Their whole role in a lot of these communities is to shore up the sort of conservative social order. Granted, plenty of them could be in a union, but that's besides the point. Like, well, also the union thing has sort of been like you know uh, emasculated. Right. Almost. Like, I remember growing up, like, they, you know, I'd hear all these, like, scab miners talk about, like, well, if you're one of them union mining pussies, if you get bit by a spider, you get six months off paid. Right. You know, that kind of stuff. Like, acting like they were, like, somehow softer than. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're yeah. absolutely right. And that is, I mean, part of their pay is to uphold that order. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, my brother-in-law is a miner, and a couple years ago, before the shit really bottomed out, like, he brought home $180,000 a year. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. these guys are not like, you know, like like now where they're paying you 17 bucks an hour to dig into a hillside and get coal out. You know what I mean? At one yeah. point, they were compensated. And part of that good compensation was tied up in upholding that sort of masculine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is, um, look, you know, as America deindustrializes, um, and these places are hit the hardest. I mean, look, unless you completely overhaul the way that they're structured and the in like the sort of role they play in the larger national economy, I just I, I look I've lived here for seven years. I grew up in a rural area. I can't see them going socialist anytime soon. You know, I mean, granted they they it's on us to do that and to sort of try to guide them in that direction and to, to um, you know, build out a sort of ideological space for that in these places. But, um, you know, unless you are really grappling with, uh, you know, the role of sort of conservative thought and ideolo- ideology and stuff like that, I just don't really see it happening. I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's uh also I think that um seems to me like they're getting a little ahead of themselves, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, also like another thing is that this is like a super long-term project. Mm-hmm. Too, like building socialism and all this stuff. That's why that's that was like, you know, we were talking in the in the group message last night about like the Bernie Sanders campaign. And it's like I'm not voting for Bernie Sanders like because I think it's like some net positive for socialism or like I think it's some like sort of like grand revolutionary gesture like even though it's like definitely comparatively better I think we're just a bit disingenuous if we say otherwise I'm voting for Bernie Sanders for what I can get out of it for yeah. what my sick working mother can get out of it for like you know so people that you know are like you know working like shitty like you know, service industry jobs can get some more money out of it. You and know? as Katie pointed out, that is the normal average person's approach to voting. That is their approach to politics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it, and it's material. Think about that. Right. You know what I'm saying? And that seems to be separate from building um, some sort of mass movement. I could be wrong. I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. But I think I think it's the the question is like, is the mobilization of workers toward something like that, is that building socialism, or is it just, like, uh, yeah, or or is it just, like, or, like, isolated workers getting certain material concessions? Is that just 
what it I, you know I, I don't I'm not phrasing that the the right way I know. Well, you know, look, uh, this week or maybe two weeks ago, no, um, I think it was yeah maybe a week or two ago was the hundredth anniversary of the Seattle General Strike. Right, I said that to you. Yeah, and um, you sent it to everybody. It's I sent it to everybody. Put it on all the light poles in town. Yeah, I did. you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and it, 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 you know, in this um. They set up a committee, like the General Strike Committee, I believe, set up a committee afterwards to sort of write about it and find out what went right, what went wrong. And the most striking thing to me about it, reading reading it, is that it took decades to basically make a general strike. And yeah. even then, it didn't work necessarily. It went for five days. Most workers just turned out for solidarity. Um, but regardless, it took decades to build up the sort of solidarity and class consciousness and just organizational capacity to actually do it um and so you know that to me is building socialism right yeah. like that's sort of the that's you're 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 reaching across several layers of the working class several industries you're putting them all into sort of one grand coalition to exercise your sort of economic leverage and force over the industry there. Yeah. Um, Man, that is, that is, that's a huge task and it seems separate from a social welfare state or yeah. a, a, a social democratic state with like, you know, sort of robust, uh, you know, welfare policies for yeah. your income or your healthcare, stuff like that. Yeah. It's not to say that that isn't a form Good, of socialism. Or if or that, that isn't not, like, yes, that is bad, like, if exactly. that's a bad thing, like nobody's shitting on that. Exactly. I guess what we're saying, though, is that I see a contradiction in what Bernie's saying about a total economic and social transformation of society and what he's proposing. What he's proposing, yeah. I mean... And also, you know, a point we've made is revolutions, there's a lot to manage before, during, and after. And something we talked a little bit about today is that, that, you know, are we prepared for, you know the uh sort of wealth strikes and you know what what the retaliation of the wealthy and ceos is going to be yeah if this like mild social democratic program is put in place after decades of just like these guys being able to run roughshod there will be capital flight you know there will be you're right wealth or capital yeah 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 no i think that's a great way to put it like they're organized like you gotta understand and they their sort of understanding of class and class consciousness runs quite a bit deeper um i i think i think one thing i don't know i wouldn't say necessarily that we messed up on but something i would critique that we've said is you know in the last couple of weeks like when ever since trump and the state of the union said you know gave those two sentences about like curbing socialism and i said you know ah they're not scared they're just you know throwing out there as a mild threat i think they i think they are scared but i think they're scared not for the reasons we think they are i think they're scared because that's just the reactionary posture yeah they're so touchy because what is you know just reactionary is being a reactionary is or just being a conservative in general is you know having power having wealth seeing it threatened and then reacting to that yeah yeah, and i think that's what we're seeing like they're showing their hand how dedicated they are to the cause of snuffing us out. You're right. Okay. Just by like, you know, Bernie Sanders entering the race. You know, you see Trump today, crazy Bernie and all this kind of stuff. Like, you know, like 2016, that there wasn't that. Right. 
Bernie was like, oh, he was treated very unfairly. All this <laughs> stuff. Because they didn't think Bernie had a chance in hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. Now they see some steam behind that, and it's like, now it's like, okay. Yeah. So I wouldn't necessarily call them scared, but they are sensitive. Yeah. Hypersensitive. I would. I absolutely <laughs> agree. Well, and, and that's a thing that scares me. Um, and I'm not saying this is a well actually thing. It's like, it, if anything, I'm saying it more as it, like sort of advice or something. It's like our generation has never experienced rationing. We've never experienced sacrifices that like is going to be a result of what you were saying capital flight wealth strikes stuff like that if he's serious about what he's saying we're talking about massive disruptions to the economy yeah and um and that they well they wanted jimmy carter bernie they want to banish him to the dust ban of history and say like those ideas don't work look right it's been proven right right, right. and they're going to leverage everything they can money-wise and all this kind of stuff and that's really and truly what we're talking about in terms of you know when we're trying to be critical of bernie and saying well him and and the movement for socialism in general needs to just go for broke because if we don't if we leave the door open for capital a little bit it's going to kick the fucking thing wide open in four years <laughs> yeah. when bernie's in his 80s and trying to run for re-election and there's no heir apparent and yes you know that well, that's what i mean that's like kind of at the crux of our critiques of like electoral politics and why it's not wise to just throw all your energy and resources into that yeah and it's why i we've said before like you need a constituency and a base to actually see those things through and granted that may exist and it probably does i mean obviously trump like as you were just saying is sees some actual force behind this and is scared and is like oh crazy bernie um but you know to that point uh, bernie needs to just dig in and just be like you know how you stop trump from doing all that shit and like just putting your hand on his head just call him like a tell him he's got like a little dick and he's like a fat fuck and you fucked his mom in like 71 <laughs> you know what i mean like you have to you can't be gentlemanly with trump because he'll just bully you yeah no i i fucking I, dunk on him shake your fucking nuts in his fucking gooey ass face <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know man um uh back to what we were saying just a second ago though people are cutting in on their grift god damn it and we want the goddamn yeah. cut. We want, a we goddamn, want some residuals, Blanc. We want some residuals. Um, yeah, I feel like I just did not articulate myself there at all because I was trying not to talk about it. And then once we started going down the road, I was like a kind of, yeah, I was like a guy who was hanging on the back of a garbage truck or something like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a dangerous ass job. Yeah, I just don't, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to sit back and, and watch what ha- happens for a little bit and, uh, without getting too far into the um, prognosticate. Because, look, I'm wrong, like, 95% of the time. And so... Um, you got to give yourself a little more credit. That's more like 72 You know, I also have the brain disorder of, like, oppositional defiant disorder or whatever, where, like, if somebody says one thing, I have to... You got to be a contrarian. Just yeah, <laughs> it's, and I, look, I don't like that about me. I've got a... <laughs> <laughs> not much about me I do like. There's not a whole lot about me I do like. You're exactly right. Um, so I'm, I am cognizant of that and I'm aware, um, but mostly look, I just want these things to stick and to be successful and I don't want anybody to get killed in the process. And so that's where a lot of my sort of, (laughs) sort of critiques come from. That's another thing I've been thinking about, man. I I was was listening to the Chapo episode about Elliot Abrams the other day. Uh 
I just wonder how far away we are from like state violence against like known communists or socialists or whatever in this country. Yeah, like citizens. You know what I'm saying? I wondered about that too. In the in the age of Trump, it seems like they haven't really been able to get their shit together enough to really yeah target leftists. Like how how far are we away from just not being able to cross the fucking street without like a legal hassle at least? You know, <laughs> if if they're not like assassinating us, I mean that'd be bad PR. But like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, there is a case to be made. I don't know. I guess it could be coincidence, but I think it's pretty pretty suspicious. You know how like some of those Ferguson activists have been murdered since yeah Ferguson and stuff yeah suspicious things it's yeah it's pretty fucking weird um but the fact of the matter is is like me and you live in the middle of nowhere and, like they're not sending out Mulder and Scully to fucking well it's track. because you can't come to a town like this with and <laughs> people will know you're not from around here pretty quickly exactly and then where we get around and <laughs> yeah where we get around then we can take to our bunker and yeah exactly. Whatever. Yeah, you're right. Well, we want residuals. We spent a whole hour and a half talking about grifts, god damn it, and we want our fucking money. Um, it's so funny. The thing about Appalachia is that um, the there. I'm is, just gonna. I'm just gonna like fucking just uh, poverty shame Eric Blanc into giving us like some <laughs> some royalties off that book and just be like, yeah, just you're just the next in a long line of people just extracting wealth from afar here, aren't you, buddy? Well, the funny thing about it, and I try to um, immunize myself to this. Every now and then, I have a hard time. But I, the funny thing about Appalachia is that um, at least since the 60s, since it's become such a highly guarded item and topic in media, and the corollary to that, it's become such a highly commoditized form of grant revenue and capital. Uh, just a, just um, a very healthy stream of... <laughs> seam of grant money <laughs> it it has produced a class of you know um speakers spokespeople guardians uh gatekeepers yeah. and so every time someone steps on the soil and starts to like talk about it or write about it immediately the hackles of everyone is ri- risen and i you know like i said i've Try to immunize myself to this and and listen we're probably on the lower end of that look like i, I don't really care eric Blanc can write his book <laughs> but i reserve the right to be hypercritical of I, it. i've been so contrarian to that impulse that at times i've found myself embracing people that i wouldn't even norm i mean like stacy kranitz and stuff not like i actually ever embraced her but at the same time i was lukewarm <laughs> you just like you saw you saw her get chewed up at the gates yeah and you kind of feel a little bit for her well and not just that it's just that like if the crowd is moving in that direction i'm like man fuck that shit like <laughs> so it's like uh, uh, in a way i like i don't have anything against the jacobin writer or some shit like from uh, from new york or whatever it does hurt a little bit when I'm broke as fuck, unemployed, can't get it published anywhere, and can't get a paycheck when I see some New York. That's the extent. That's that. And that I mean, it's rooting a little bit of jealousy. But we, I, mean, we just I admit that, that up front. Right. Yeah. We just call that envy. That's just you straight know, up. Just yeah. straight up envy. It's just, we need Bob Larson right, to right. exercise the envy demons exactly. out of us. But I'm not going to actually, like, uh, you know, try to make a career out of it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we should just. Stay in our lane. Keep being the actually guys. <laughs> uh, you know. Keep bringing in our little pittance of uh-huh. Patreon money. That... Into the region. Yeah. Into the region. Um, well, speaking of Patreon um, money, please check out our Patreon. Um, 
p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash Trillbilly Workers Party. Um, generally got good stuff up over there. Um, so please check that out. Um, please don't hold us to anything we've said in this episode uh, about Bernie. Uh, definitely about the televangelist. Hold us to that. That's uh, fine. Yeah, (laughs) our Bernie takes will change by the day. Well, we did. I I didn't prepare to talk about it today, so I didn't really have any any talking points prepared for it. But um, you know, I don't really give a shit, dude. That's I'm I'm so disconnected from it, bro. I don't give a shit. You're above it, bro. I'm above it. I'm like I said yesterday. I'm gonna go work on an offshore drilling. you're going to try to hasten the end of the world by doing your part to, for, in resource extraction. Yeah, baby. I'm not an accelerationist now, uh, nor have I ever been. <laughs> I have a, uh, I have a new political... Briefly in the 90s. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a new political philosophy called deacceleration. Called uh, the third way. The third way. <laughs> well, that's the thing. A lot of people in their Bernie takes are like, we've got 12 years to blow. Look, um... Climate change is, I'm just, I got to break this to you. There's not a goddamn thing we can do to stop it. Um, and so, and and the general motion of the left in this country right now is for Bernie, and you're not going to change their minds, and, you know, just. That's just, that's just where we're going to put the shovel in. Just, yeah, here's where you're just going to have to put the shovel in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's right. So. There we are. There, there we you've are. converted the trailblazers. We're Bernie 2020 now. No, we're not, but we. you're right. That's where we're going to have to put the shovel in. All right. Anyways, please check out the Patreon and sign up there. Um, uh, we'll start, you know, sending you Bibles and stuff if you're not careful. Um, Prayer cloths. Yeah. Healing for, oil. For a monthly donation of $5 a month, you get free episodes on the Patreon. Yeah. So please check that out. Um. Anyways, so you have any infirmities, you'll be healed too. <laughs> Sign up for our Patreon, and you can get rid of your cancer. Yeah, that's right. Or whatever. That's right. All right. Well, uh, we'll see you all next time.